Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Youngmi Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. And before we get to our guests, we're going to do our Patreon shout outs. So for our listeners out there, you know the drill. If you like the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. Youngmi and I offer a lot of different exclusive benefits, but at the very least, any donation amount gets you a shout out on the podcast where we guess who you are based on your name alone. And without further ado, Youngmi, are you ready for our first shout out? Uh, Yes, I'm not hungover today. Surprise, surprise. So my psychic abilities might be off. All right. But (laughs) I'm going to try to tap in. I'm going to try to do the method. Okay, tap in, Youngmi, because our first shout out goes out to Malia Saito. Ooh, S-A-I-T-O? S-A-I-T-O. Malia Saito. I'm getting like, I'm getting Hawaii vibes. I feel like this person lives in Hawaii. Yeah, I was going to guess Saipan. Oh. Yeah. You know what? You know what? Maybe this person is a Pacific Islander. P.I. represent. Let's go. I'm getting that vibe, right? Woo. I like Saipan. Does that make sense? I feel like I talk about being from Saipan a lot. So eventually somebody's going to have to listen from Saipan, right? She's a small business owner. Owns and operates a smoothie shop and loves to surf. Yeah, that's my guess. I'm going to guess that she's a scuba dive shop owner because there is no surfing on Saipan. Little do people know. All right. Well, that's just some Saipan trivia for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Go fuck yourself, Brian. How dare you? How dare you? Um, there's like a reef, there's like a coral reef that surrounds it. I mean, I guess you can technically, technically surf on the other side, but I I don't know anyone that does. You have the facts. Let's go with your guess. (laughs) Melia Saito, thank you for donating to our Patreon. Our second shout out goes out to Bawi Kim. Now, the last name is spelled K-I-M-N. Oh. Kim. Yeah. Do you think that's like a Southeast Asian last name? Maybe like Laotian or like Cambodian? Southeast Asian. I'm going to guess that he is a partner at a law firm. Brian always like guesses the lawful professions. Even when you were like, this person's a musician. By that, I mean he owns a record company. <laughs> CEO of Forbes. <laughs> <laughs> record distribution network or something. Uh, no, no, he's no, a musician. No. He he now owns let me, let me finish Spotify. here, okay? <laughs> Bowie Kim is not any old traditional lawyer. He is a partner of a law firm that specializes in art contracts. Spice things nice. up a little bit. <laughs> So Brian would consider him an artist. He is an artist. He is a creative. I buy that. Oh, I buy okay. that. Yeah. So, I believe so that. You, I feel like we're this on person the same is also psychic vibe here. I'm getting video game video game vibes. Just video, video game vibes is super hard to say. Just try saying it. Video game vibes. <laughs> Never mind. It's just me. That's um, a great first AIM screen name. Video game vibes, two thousand seven. <laughs> I feel like if he's like a it. streamer. Oh, so he's a Twitch streamer. What does that mean? Yeah, that's what I'm getting. All right, I think there's truly no in between. Either he is the most lawful lawyer who is closing multi-million dollar auction sales, or he is a Twitch streamer 
who makes Why a lot of both? money doing that too. <laughs> but in any case, Bowie Kim, thank you for your donation. And our last shout out for this episode goes out to Chris Ko. Chris Ko. I'm going to guess that Chris Ko, mm-hmm. he's in an Asian frat. I saw like gym shorts and like muscly. He's wearing a t-shirt, but <laughs> you know when somebody that's muscly is wearing a t-shirt and it looks really good? It's, I, that's what I saw in my head. Oh, yeah. You know? He has good fashion. He's in an Asian frat. He likes to party. He gets very fucked up on Friday nights, Thursday nights, but he never misses church on Sundays. <laughs> I, I was going to say he never misses. What, what's that workout thing where they lift weights and it's like kind of culty? CrossFit. CrossFit. I was going to say he gets turned, you know, but then he, at 8 a.m. he's at CrossFit. Yeah. He gets turned and he carries one of those plastic protein shakers with him. But that's sort of his thing. Brian, I was seeing the oversized water container too. <laughs> the really big one, you know? I kind of want to start carrying <laughs> that around with me. I think if you start carrying that around, you just immediately get ripped. <laughs> just from the weight of the water. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Crisco, I'm really excited to work out with you and carry our big water <laughs> bottles together whenever you come to New York. <laughs> In any case, those are our shout-outs for the episode. Let us know if we're in the ballpark. And once again, our Patreon is patreon.com slash feelingasian. You know what's amazing? How one tiny action can multiply into big changes for the better. Take getting vaccinated. Today, everyone 12 and over is eligible for COVID-19 vaccine. So say you get vaccinated today, then you help find a vaccine center for your neighbor. And she sends an appointment link to her best friend, and her best friend, well, you get the idea. Plus, now getting vaccinated is easier. There are more clinics, pharmacies, and pop-ups than before. That means more appointments available, even walk-ins. And all it takes is someone like you to help get things started. Let's get everyone 12 and older vaccinated against COVID-19. We can do this. Visit vaccines.gov today to find vaccines near you. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And uh, Youngmi, I think it's time to introduce our wonderful guest this week. I'm so extremely excited. Listeners, you're in for a treat. Our guest this week is the co-founder of the skincare brand, Good Light. And he is also the author of the book, Pretty Boys. Everyone, please give a warm welcome to David Yee. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Woo! David, you sound so, your audio sounds so nice and crisp. Yes. Okay, good. I'm so glad. Jesus. It's all about the audio on a podcast. Everything about you is so nice and crisp. Like I you was are about truly to the most you, you, I mean, listeners, before we started recording, David Yee said that he felt not his best because he just went for a two mile run before this and he is literally radiating through my computer screen right now. My hair's so crispy, I put some gel in it. Like it was nineteen ninety. I was like, ooh, okay, let me try this gel. Um, but no, thank you so much. Listeners, young me and Brian have the most glistening and dewy skin. I'm like, are wow. they Korean? Because um, they look like really chok chok and I'm like really into it. I'm like really into it. 
chok chok means like Ooh. bouncy and wet and moisturized and like and when plump. you touch it it kind of goes like wow young me did well, you hear I'm that so, like, this is coming I'm from so, a skincare expert so it must be true i'm so it's excited true. i'm gonna kill myself sorry never say lies. <laughs> well, i have to say this is great that we are talking about this and our skin because we we started a youtube channel so if you're listening on the podcast right now you can just go to youtube and see what we're talking about and this Ooh. is the second ever youtube episode that's gonna come up and you can look at our chok chok skin Yes, yes. Chok, chok. dewy like dumplings, and uh, I just want to like pinch the skin and see the moisture level. Wow, is that weird? Wow. Is that weird? I'm gonna <laughs> pretend that I didn't. I'm gonna pretend that I didn't try at all before this episode because <laughs> I knew it was David. I'm gonna just pretend that this is. <laughs> I didn't go get like a emergency facial. <laughs> yeah, this is just natural. Yep. Oh my God. Well, David, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And before we ask you how you're feeling, Brian, young me, Brian, how are you, Brian? How are you uh, feeling? You beat me to the punch. I always go first and now I'm feeling self-conscious about it. Brian, I really want to know, how are you feeling? I am feeling a little bit agitated. Little bit agitated. Now, something happened to me a few days ago and okay. it's, been on, it's been on my mind. And I also want to talk about an article that I read in the New York Times. And it's all okay. under one umbrella category. And we're going to talk microaggressions here. So... <gasps> A few, I play tennis a lot. Tennis is my jam. I play almost every day, and I play at McCarran Park in Brooklyn. And the way it works is uh, you have a one-hour time limit. So you have a park attendant there. They sign you in. And uh, a few days ago, I went to go play tennis with my friend. And the park attendant said, okay, it's on the hour. Now go to court four. I walk to the court, and there's these two douchey looking white guys playing and <laughs> for lack of a better word they were just douchey looking and you know i informed them like hey um it's three o'clock this is their court you gotta go they kind of look me they give me the up down they look at me and they're like oh just give me like can we just like finish this up like can you can, can we just finish this? i was like no there's it's it's actually past three right now uh you have to get off the court whatever like come on please just like a few more, like, can we just finish this game? Like, it's not going to take that long. Like, can we just finish? And we went on this back and forth where they were really pushing back on me. And I had to put my foot yeah. down and be like, bro, like, you need to stop. Like, right yeah, now. Yeah. Uh -huh. And the, once he realized that I wasn't going to relent, he kind of mm -hmm. threw in this, like, snide comment at the end where he said, well, dude, you don't have to be such a jackass about it. And I'm like... This is literally how the rules work. Everyone gets an hour. If another person comes and tells me to get off the court an hour, I'm going to get off the court. And yeah. I started to like analyze that interaction because it's just this gut feeling that I have. And I feel like I don't, I can't be the only person just by being a POC in America where I'm like, if I, if I was like another white person, what he have pushed me aside in that same way. Or if I literally, like, maybe it wasn't a race thing. Maybe it was a physical stature thing. If I looked like Dwayne yeah. The Rock Johnson, do you think this motherfucker is going to look at Dwayne The Rock Johnson and be like, oh, can, come on, dude. Like, just five more minutes. Like, can we just finish this up? Like, no, dude. No. If it was Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you'd be like, I'm so fucking sorry. Let me hear. Do you want, a, do you want my tennis racket? 
Like mm-hmm. you can you can have my body, you know? And yeah. it just didn't sit right with me, you know? It's one of those things where I'm like, clearly this guy looked at me, evaluated me, and made this decision of, oh, I am I am better than this person. I yep. don't have to respect his rules. He's a type of person that I can push over. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, maybe it is because I'm Asian and this person was white. Maybe it's because I'm like kind of a lanky, skinny guy and he thinks he's physically stronger than me. But that interaction kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Now, yeah. Um, I read this article a few days ago um, that was in the New York Times and I recommend everyone to read it. It's it's the article is called it's titled The Cost of Being an Interchangeable Asian and it's written mm. by Brian X. Chen. And it describes how Asian Americans in the corporate workforce are um they experience detrimental side effects of the model minority myth, where mm-hmm. there is an overwhelming People point to the high numbers of Asian Americans that are quote unquote excelling in the corporate workforce. However, if you dig a little bit deeper, very few of them are ever getting promoted to C-suite level or executive level positions. Now, the reason for this is that we're interchangeable. We exist as one collective identity as Asian American. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the profile, the article interviews so many different uh, Asian Americans in middle management levels that describe the same thing over and over again, where they're confused for other Asian Americans in different departments. Like these right. are your coworkers that you see every day, and they can't even get your fucking name right. And yeah, um, it's just, it's just incredibly like frustrating. And uh, and I, I want to read this one um, point that the article makes, and it says. You know, if one requirement to ascend in your career is to be distinguishable to people in power, it mm-hmm. may come as no surprise then that Asian Americans who make up 7% of the U.S. population and on, are the fastest growing racial group are the least likely group to be promoted in the country, according mm-hmm. to multiple studies. Even in Silicon Valley, where people of Asian descent make up roughly 50% of the tech workforce, very few of them ever rise to the executive level. Most right. just peak at middle management. And it's because they kind of just see us as a commodity. We're not actual mm-hmm. people. There's nothing just like in these people's eyes that we're not distinguishable. Like if they can't even get your fucking name right, of course they're not going to, you're not even in their purview or in their line of sight of being like, who should we promote to the executive level? And yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of how I've been feeling. It all stemmed from this weird interaction on the tennis court where I'm like, this guy mm. clearly sized me up and was like, I I don't have to submit to the rules in this particular uh. instance because I am more quote unquote powerful than this person. He, yeah, here's the thing. Sorry, are you done, Brian? Yeah, and I just want to make a point that it was especially agitating because I would fucking mop that guy on the tennis court. Fuck <laughs> anyways, yeah. <go> on. <laughs> and, and I'm better at tennis. Yeah, and but- I've had sex with your girlfriend, probably. <laughs> you probably have had sex with his girlfriend, let's be honest. I played the fifth. Brian won, white guy zero. <laughs> Listen, this is what I want to say about that. Even if we all know the probability, we're always like taught to give white people the benefit of the, of the doubt, but we all know the probability is that at least 40% of his brain was like, this is an Asian person. We all know. We all know that. They're not going to admit it. 
but we all know that. <laughs> but even if even if he didn't think that, even if he wasn't like this is an Asian guy and I'm white, even if he's super not racist in his head, that interaction is inherently racist because that man acted that way because he was born a white fucking cis het man in America. And without him consciously knowing, subconsciously, he already knows that he has a right to do whatever the hell he wants. And he always gets the right away, period. Even mm. if he's ne- even if that thought has never come to his head, every interaction he's had since birth has reinforced that idea. Every time he had some sort, you know, like when he walks down the sidewalk, if there's like a person of color walking towards him, the person of color gets out of the way. And that's all subconscious. And he's obviously not aware of it because he's an idiot. But even if he doesn't doesn't have the solid idea in his head that this person's a person of color and I'm white and I get to do what I want, his actions, the assumption that he has that right to even be like, hey, I'm going to take five more minutes, man. I'm going to take five more minutes, man. That is inherently just racist. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, yeah, No, that makes total sense. Because, because let's be honest, if I was on the tennis court and I saw you as a woman of color, if I wanted five more minutes, I would be like, oh my God, I'm, this is how I would say it. Oh my God, I'm so, 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 so sorry, but I'm really into this game. Do you mind if I take five more minutes? Can I pay you like 15 bucks? Or I, this is like, you, that's how I would approach it. That's how right, I right. believe that's how all of us would approach it. Because as people of color and as people that are not, um, for me, not a man and not cis. I mean, I'm, I am cis, but those, everyone else ha- has been taught since birth living in this society that we have to make room for that fucking guy. And that guy yeah. never learned that ever. Right, right, right. And then he's like, why are you being such a dick? My mommy gave me milky titties whenever I wanted, to. you know, like, <laughs> why are you being mean to me? And it's like, that is inherently racist. And he will never understand that that is his actions are racist. Mm. Anyway, that's my thought on the issue. The entitlement is so real, though. The entitlement is real. And I also think that it comes from a culture of individualism to an extreme. Mm. So we're Asians and people of color. We are a collective society where we think about the greater good and think about others. You know, white folks, they grow up in a hyper-individualistic culture where it's about me, me, me. There's no consideration for the other. And so Brian, I would have also been pissed. I mean, in the end, did you get your time in or was it like 30 minutes passed by and you only had like 10 minutes to play? No, I I mean, that's the thing because I was so terse and unwavering and I'm like adamant to, to kick them off because my, you know, my playing partner did point out, he said, Oh, in a very endearing way, he was like, I love it, dude. Like you're such a savage. And mentally I'm like, I have to be this way because when I'm dealing with these really entitled white men, yeah. if I give you an inch, you're going to take a yard and I can't even give you that space. I'm not even going to indulge it. Like your time's up. That's it. That's so great. <laughs> we're we're all on playing by the Aries same rules, King. you know? <laughs> and that's the thing. And then, and then there's this whole thing of, wait, wait a minute, you're Asian. <laughs> Asians don't do it. Like, there's like that sort of like, wait, you're fighting me back on this? Usually you just say, okay, and, and laugh. You know what I mean? Right, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> what Asians are they thinking about? I have never. My mom is spicy. She's a male. Her last name is Shin. 
the spicy shin. <laughs> and so for me, I'm just like, Koreans, I don't know anyone who is uh, just demure and doesn't speak up. Like, all the Koreans I know have that inner Han that just, yeah. like, comes out, right? But this triggers me, Brian, because when I was in sixth grade, growing up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, yeah. I wa- had one other Korean in my grade. His name was Jeffrey. And Jeffrey and I looked nothing alike. But yeah. we would always get mistaken for the other. So I did an experiment one day. And I was like, Jeff, you're going to all my classes. I'm going to all your classes. Let's see <gasps> if one teacher points it out. At mm. the end of the day, not a single teacher knew that we were in different classes. And I was like, no. should we just take each other's tests? That is insane. Oh God. That is crazy. That is crazy. I just remember this right <laughs> now, you- Brian. Imagine. Oh my God. Let's just keep doing it. All the Asian Americans <laughs> listening to this, let's just keep doing this. This is fun. God. And let's fu- you know when when Andrew I'm, Yang if Andrew Yang becomes mayor, I'm just gonna like pop into the office one day and be like, I'm the mayor. <laughs> no one's gonna notice. No what am I signing like today? Oh, let's like sign all the paperwork, like open all the borders. <laughs> yeah. You have blonde hair today, Andrew. Anywho, yes, we anyway. certainly agree with the opening of the border. <laughs> yeah. And I mean and that New York Times article, it did it like it did upset me because I have been in positions like that, especially in the corporate workforce where people have confused me for another Asian. And, you know, it's a confusing feeling because it's like, okay, this could be, this is just an innocuous mistake. But then if I think about it or dwell on it even longer, it, it becomes more sinister and it goes to like, well, why are you confusing me? Like we worked together for the past six months and I clearly don't look like this other person. So Wait. Why are you still making this mistake? You know Where was that, Brian? At work? Yeah, when I used to work and uh, when I had a corporate job. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it happens Remember all the time wh- in America, too. Even in school, yeah. you know? <laughs> Even in comedy, people confuse us for different Asian comedians. And the yeah. sad fact of it is we'll never be on the same shows because it's only one Asian per comedy show. And, you know, other comics might be in the audience and they'll come up to you afterwards and confuse you for a different Asian. And you're like, what are you, what are you, like, what is going through your mind right now? You just have to call it out. Like when I worked in corporate America and I, you know, felt a certain way, I would just say that was racist. Do not ever mistake me again. Let's go. I've, yeah. <laughs> I love saying that. Don't you ever make that mistake again, period. And you just walk away. Nice. Or you let them walk away, actually. Listeners, <laughs> if anyone does that shit to you, Brian, you should have just been like, that's racist. Are you are you trying to take my time because you're white and I'm I'm Asian? And then like recorded it with your camera and then canceled <laughs> him on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter, do your job. Twitter, do your thing. <laughs> well, I feel good now that I got that off my chest. Young me, how are you feeling? Um, so you know, I I just listened to the episode. We're recording on Thursday. We had an episode come out yesterday on Wednesday, um, and I talked about my friend that I had a fight with, Mm -hmm. and I have to say, I feel, I was very vague, you know, I didn't really mention her name or anything, but I I felt kind of bad because I felt like, even though I try very hard in my life, I am a human being, and Mm. I have a point of view, and anyone that's listening to this, and I, I know like people obviously share similar stories as me so they probably agree with me when I say stuff but probably like if I have an interaction or a fight with somebody I'm assuming that maybe 30% of that is stuff that's probably a little incorrect because it's like coming from a place of my emotions and it's my perspective 
and it's probably coming from me being hurt. So, mm. so then I, I kind of thought, you know, it was unfair of me to just put my perspective, my side of the story on the podcast, because mm. the truth is most likely, you know, 30% of it is probably a little off, if not more. Right. Mm. And it's, and so I think what I was trying to achieve by talking about this disagreement was I was trying to focus it like on me and like my personal issues and the reason why I was reading the situation as I was, which, um, you know, I mentioned in the episode, I have a lot of, I struggle a lot with like internalized misogyny. And so it's almost like I project that onto other people when an issue comes up. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel sort of like I was being kind of like a bully in a way. And I'm not trying to be hard on myself, but it is unfair because I have a, a platform and people obviously will listen to my narrative and this other person doesn't. So I felt that that was a little unfair. And I think I reacted quickly because I was coming from a place of hurt. And, you know, we recorded that right after I got back from San Francisco and I, and this is my dear friend. Mm-hmm. And so I felt a little bad about that. Mm. So I'm feeling a little, a little bad about that. And have you spoken to your friend since? No. Um, well, she reached out to me and I said, you know, obviously we're both very angry. Mm-hmm. And I said, let's talk in a, a little bit after we cool down. And that being said, I think there were think points that I made that were valid. You know, it's, it's just, it just, I like thought about it and it read as very unfair to me. Just mm. to have a one-sided story. I see. I totally yeah. get what you mean. It says a lot about your character that you can admit that um, in this instance that you might have been misinformed or you might have done things differently if you had a little bit of time yeah. to just cool off because you were you no, were operating from saying, a place yeah. of a lot of emotion. And um, the dynamic was unfair is what makes you feel bad. Yeah. yeah, but I'm I'm saying not just this incident, but just everything I've ever said in my life, you know, I can't, I'm a human being <laughs> and I'm stupid <laughs> and you know, I'm coming from my, my perspective and the, the, yeah. the truth is reality is not my perspective. So everything I say is like touched with like, touched with bias. Mm. And I'm, well, it's I'm difficult like, to be objective, right? Because we are no so one's objective. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 so much a part of who we are in, in integrally. Like we yeah. we can't have a an unbiased view of the world or purview of the world. But I will say that I think it takes a big person to be self aware, like you are right now. And I think that's mm-hmm. very admirable. And like they say, there are three sides to a story. There's your side, the other side, and their truth. Right. And so oh. you are yeah. right. You're thirty three percent correct in in what you're saying. And and I think that we should all be aware that we have a certain level of truth. That's why we always say, this is my truth, because that's exactly. your truth and that's your perspective. Yep. Mm. That's what I wanted to say. And I, and I wanted to say it on the podcast to like the listeners, you know, like, you know, be aware that whenever I say anything, it's it's only 33% not- correct. <laughs> 33.333%. Why are you listening to me? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> canceled um yeah so i just i just felt like a little bit like all right i gotta like i gotta chill and be fair yeah because that's unfair because you know like brian brian and i have have this platform and 
we're oversharers and not everyone is an overshare. A lot of people are private, you know, and yeah. I just wanted to say that. How about you, David? How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling such mixed emotions right now. Um, mm. You know, we we have the book coming out and I feel like there's still a lot of work to do before that comes out. And and we're having some pride initiatives for, you know, Good Light uh, and, and the beauty brand just launched a, a little over 100 days ago. And then, you know, I'm still the editor of Very Good Light, which is a platform that launched in 2016. So I just feel like I'm being stretched to my limit. This is like the most busy time of my entire life. Mm. But yesterday, I kind of had to just take a walk and say, you know what? I'm so grateful for this moment. And I'm so grateful that I have so much that that I've, I've really dreamed about. You know, what makes Mm. me feel humble Mm. and comes to a place of humility is when I think, remember when you prayed for what you have now? But of course you don't because you're human and you're like, okay, I totally forgot what I dreamed about. Like a year ago, I said, if I have a book, I can do anything and I'll never want anything again. But of course Mm. the book came out and I want so much more. And so it comes to a place of humility and becoming humble and just having a lot of gratitude, an abundance of gratitude. When you think of that thought, that radical thought, remember when you wished for what you have now. And we have so much in abundance that we probably journaled about like even a month ago or even yesterday. And so I'm feeling an overwhelming sense of gratitude in this moment, being Mm. with my fellow Koreans in this podcast, (laughs) in this Zoom. And I just feel very much supported and loved and like I'm in a cocoon ready to kind of become a moth and fly away. Wow. That's wonderful. (laughs) You know what that reminds me? That reminds me, because before we started recording, you said that you're close with Eric, who was recently on our podcast, and he was sort of yes. saying the same thing. He was like, well, this is my dream. I remember that. I'm close with Eric's older brother, Kevin, but Eric is just such a magnificent, uh, just powerful being. And, you right. know, I think that there's a lot to say when it comes to being Asian, too. And I think we're always like, oh, but Asians, let's try to, like, stop being so humble. And But I think that's our superpower, maintaining mm-hmm. our grace and humility, standing in our power, knowing that we are magnificent creatures, but we don't have to overextend ourselves or kind of do over PR and say we're amazing because we already have it. And I think yeah. that's what's, what's amazing about Asia, being an Asian American is we have it. We understand, you know, adversity. We understand how to overcome and we don't have to shout it from the rooftops because we we already have it within. We have that's it. A vibe. You know, it goes without saying, but you have a very impressive um, portfolio of work and I definitely want to dive into it a little bit. You know, I first learned about your work back in 2016 through your platform, um, Very Good Light. And um, yeah, I, I was dating someone at the time who was, she was obsessed with skincare and she it showed me. It was a tennis guy's girlfriend. <laughs> it was tennis guy's girlfriend. It all makes sense now. Yeah. Yep, it's full yep, circle. Yep. I'm, I'm being a bully because I have this platform <laughs> and I am shitting on tennis guy. <laughs> she doesn't get a say on feeling Asian. It's 100% the true story. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, your, your platform, Very Good Light, uh, you curated content aimed to redefine masculinity through a beauty lens. And, um, you know, you've spent a lot of time researching the history of beauty at large, uh, especially as it pertains to men. And I'm curious, how do you think the perception of male beauty has shifted since the inception of 
very good light since 2016? That's a great question. And I can't believe you read our publication back then. I feel like we were <laughs> such in our infancy. That means, I don't know, I'm just, I feel so humbled right now. Um, yes, that is such an amazing question because when we first launched very good light in 2016. I almost feel like there's some pushback because people were mm. like, why do we need to redefine masculinity? Like, why mm. is it that masculinity? We mm. already know what it is as a construct. What do you mean redefine it? But for mm. me, I always knew that these gender roles and the gender binary was put into place not by my power, but mm. by a structure that was greater than I. And so I always question everything since I was younger. Like, why is it that there's pink for girls, blue for boys? But really, mm. when you look at history, it was initially pink for boys and blue for girls. And it's just color. And when I was in my career working 10 years as a fashion editor in New York mm. City, I just felt as if people weren't really paying attention to why we were promoting such ideas of what was beautiful or what mm -hmm. was masculine or feminine. Because when you dissect these words, what does masculine and feminine mean, right? Mm. So when you're saying that boy's so femme, what are you trying to say? Is it because he's wearing makeup? But what we know through history is men have always worn makeup. So mm -hmm. what, what are you trying to get at? Is he more flamboyant in his expression? Is he more boisterous, bold? And so I think that semantically, we need to understand what masculine and feminine means. Obviously, in our American English 2021 lexicon, we're never going to abolish these two terms. Mm -hmm. But I do think we should be a little more precise in the language surrounding masculinity and femininity. But mm -hmm. when I was in 2016, getting back to your question... It was very fascinating for me to uncover what people's ideas of masculinity was in this westernized, colonized world. Mm. Like, why is it that we uh, we uplift these cis straight white men who are traditionally ha handsome? And what does traditionally handsome mean? And why is it that we uh, we we prize these certain features as as being gruff or stoic or emotionless mm -hmm. or being macho? And so I wanted to break it down. I was like, mm. this is not what we should promote as masculinity. It's, it's to me, it's misguided. And mm. so in 2016, I wanted to redefine that through a beauty lens because mm. I knew that beauty was a conduit for change. And throughout history, we've seen that beauty has been political, always political, has always pushed culture forward, and has always empowered. And so through beauty, I feel like we wanted to delve into masculinity. That was kind of the excuse to delve into redefining that and uncovering what that means. Five years later in 2021, I do think that masculinity is a little more expansive. We're seeing that Gen Z is pushing the envelope. I know you mm -hmm. two are TikTok fans, but we see, you know, <laughs> men mask identifying folks paint their nails, you know, they're, <laughs> right, they're, right. they're wearing their nails. They're, yeah. they're also wearing dresses. Like the right. heartthrobs of, of today mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. Harry, Harry Styles wearing a dress on Vogue or Frank Ocean who uses retinol. And when mm -hmm. he talks about retinol, and all, it becomes a trending topic on Twitter. Right. Right. And so I think that the softer version of masculinity is kind of more embraced in 2021. Sure. But I think we still have a lot of room to go. And I think that it's okay for men, women to be masculine and feminine. We both need, we, we need both of those uh, to be a whole person. We need that yin and that yang energy. We need that mm -hmm. divine femininity, that divine masculinity. And that's how we become healthy whole people. What do you, how much of a role do you think you being Asian plays in the fact that you started this blog or publication? I think that it's very transgressive. 
to have an Asian American male mask identifying person be at the forefront of this. But it only makes sense, right? Because Asian Americans have been traditionally, well, men have been emasculated from the beginning of time. We're talking about yellow peril, which was, Mm -hmm. you know, deliberately created so that Asian males wouldn't steal white women from the white men. And so that propaganda was so rich. Yeah. Right, right. That <laughs> propaganda was so successful that, you know, in 2021, we still have those notions that Asian males are seen as less than or not as sexy yep. or, you know, that has detrimental effects generationally psych, uh, from a psychology standpoint to right. a personal self-esteem standpoint. But I think it was transgressive to have an Asian American guy mm-hmm. do this because people didn't expect it. And they're like, whoa, I mean, if the, the most uh, hyper invisible person mm-hmm. is trying to become visible now mm-hmm. and is shouting through the rooftops, this is something that is very different and interesting. And I don't think it caught on. I th- mm-hmm. think it only caught on the past few months when people were like, oh, we're hear- hearing the messages again and again that masculinity shouldn't be claustrophobic or boxed mm-hmm. in. And we're hearing it over and over because in everything that I would write, everything that I would say, I would say the same things over and over so it would stick. And I think that right. finally yeah. it's sticking. And in 2021, we're in a new frontier of uh, this new version of masculinity that's embraced and accepted. Right. I see, you know how I see like the toxic masculine traits that um, that really harm cishet men in American and Western culture? How I see that to me is I visualize it as a virus. You know what I mean? Because it wasn't it wasn't worldwide. It wasn't like the norm. And mm. that their society had that. And then everywhere they went, they spread it. Do you know what I mean? That's how I view a lot of things like sexism and like homophobia and like racism and things like that. Like they are carrying this like emotional virus or like intellectual virus that they spread. And it's right. just like a system of very like harmful bullying tactics to oh. harm men and <laughs> women. But men most mostly like, you know, these like very rigid, like yeah. masculine, like I mean I can speak from personal experience in that like you said, David, I feel that there has been a lot of progress made in sort of becoming more precise with our language and sort of deli- blurring the delineation between like what is considered masculine and femme. You know, these are all just like yeah. stupid constructs. And um, but yeah, like back in high school, you know, I was really interested in fashion at the time. And I mean, I still have an interest in it, but back then, like, so I was, I was bullied so much, so many homophobic slurs. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, even 10 or 15 years ago, if you were like, if you f- fell outside of the boundary of what is considered like, quote unquote, normal cis het masculinity, it was used to undercut you and to, and it was used as a weapon against you to really hurt yeah. you. And now, you know, when I just scroll through TikTok, it's, it's both, it's kind of bittersweet in that I think it's great that there are these high school boys who are so comfortable in just their own skin and they're wearing dresses now and that's like cool and that's very in and celebrities now are wearing nail polish. And I look back on, I have flashbacks of high school of like, okay, just because I was reading GQ magazine, like this this is what was like rustling your jimmies and making you want to like get upset at me. Like this is so funny, but it's also evidence that we have progressed since then. Right, but I think <laughs> that what we have succumbed to is what is a root cause of all of this? 
It is one, our Western culture is based on the male gaze. So if you mm-hmm. think about men, men aren't that. trying to impress other women. Men are trying to impress other men and to get yeah. validation from their friends and from male culture. But yeah. when we Yo. dissect it even further, <laughs> everything is based off of misogyny. And so when yep. we're saying, Brian, you're gay because you are like, what? A woman. A mm-hmm. woman is the only person who cares so much about their looks. And yeah. that's why the term pretty boy was so was used so facetiously. Mm-hmm. And why mm-hmm. was it used? It was used to take agency away from someone to make them feel less than or subhuman and an inferior. Like, you are a yeah. pretty boy. That means that you are like a female. And, and women, they're incapable. And in our culture, women yep. are despised and we shouldn't, we, they're, they're sub-men. And so I think that the misogyny is what we need to to kind of understand that's so embedded in our patriarchal yep. society. I am a sub, but I'm not a sub, sub man. Um, You're not so, subhuman, no, yes, or I'm sub not man. Sub-human. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was my attempt at a joke. Um, so I wanted to say the male gaze thing is, um, since you called me a TikTok and fan derogatory I, I haven't like seen so many tiktoks about the male gaze thing and it like clicked with me and i was like that makes so much sense and i want to tie back to what brian said at the top of the episode where you were like if i look like the rock this man wouldn't have fucked with me that's literally the male gaze that's what that's about and that's why all men uh-huh. think that they have to look like the rock not not because women want to fuck somebody that looks like the rock it's because if you look like the rock other men will respect you and it's like Yes. Like that finally like click with me. They don't give a shit That's what women exactly want it. Mm-hmm. because they're all misogynists. They don't give a fuck. And know? then when men are accepted by other men, that's when they embrace something. So let's talk about yeah. the Kanye West effect in let's say 2012 because I'm a fa- I am was a fashion editor. Mm-hmm. I equate to before Kanye West wore a leather kilt on stage. Remember that iconic moment when he yeah. wore this outfit and everyone was like, why is he wearing a skirt? That was a pivotal moment in American culture because then that gave validation for other people who perhaps wanted to feel a little more flamboyant in their expression to then have permission to also wear a kilt or have permission to dress with high fashion. Mm. I remember that Kanye West was always wearing Givenchy. And back then, you never saw any celebrity, male celebrity or sports star front row at Fashion Week. But Mm -hmm. the Kanye West effect then trickled down to hip-hop stars, trickled down to Mm. NBA stars. And then the Mm. masses who look up to hip-hop stars and NBA stars were like, whoa, it's cool to like Chanel. It's cool to like designer clothing. And now it's shifted in that moment. Mm. And I think it was because that validation from another man Yeah. Right? It's that male gaze. Oh, 100%. Oh, man, that makes so much sense. Because to your point, Kanye West is the apex of like dudes all love The alpha man. Like the alpha man. Yep, they respect him. Yeah, Holy every toxic man F. I've ever met loves Kanye. I have to say, I've just done the, I've done the research. Every fuckboy I've ever met, they fucking love that man. Um, but that's so, it's so sad to me when I see toxic masculinity because how weak are you that you can't wear something unless a man t- tells you. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, just wear, just wear whatever you want, bro. It's fine. Yeah, it's male fragility. And we're seeing that in terms like beauty and Mm -hmm. grooming. Why is it that men's beauty is called grooming? It's because of male fragility. Right? Yeah. You know what's the fun? This is actually funny to me. The funniest (laughs) part of like male fragility in terms of beauty is like, 
I feel like some famous comedian did a joke about this, but when you go to the like pharmacy and you know, you know, like the male uh, bath item aisle, it's like man's body wash. <laughs> it's just like shaped like a Viking hammer, and it's like you gotta the, squeeze the hammer to get the black. The it's scent, always the like scent black. is just a color, like tundra blue. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like forest. And it yeah, almost and has to like, smell like oud or pine. Yeah, um, and it's just like, but you have a point, young. Me because it's it's interesting that everyone reveres Vikings, right? But yeah. what they don't know, and we 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 touch upon this in Pretty Boys, is that Vikings were pretty boys. They were obsessed with their hair. They had beauty mm. kits right next to their yeah. shields and their their swords on their belts. The beauty kits had tweezers, ear picks, brush wow. for their beard, separate for their hair. They had so many tools because they're obsessed with beauty. I mean, during this period of the wow. Vikings, their Anglo-Saxon peers never bathed because Christians uh, said that bathing and getting naked was un... Uh, it was uncouth and it was sacrilegious. But the Vikings bathed once a week, which oh. was considered kind of feminine or very sinful. And yeah. they were obsessed with bathing. They're obsessed with their hair. So when they would go to battle, think about these over six feet, super muscular macho guys, they put their hair in a bun because they cared about their hair so much they didn't want it to get bloodied or stained in wow. battle. And so Vikings were also beauty boys, pretty boys. And so if we dissect it and look into history, it's like, well, these fragile masculine men, they yeah. quote unquote think that the ultimate and masculinity were the Vikings, but the Vikings were pretty boys like the wow. ultimate yeah. pretty boys so when chris hemsworth is thor in the marvel movies and he looks perfect that's historically accurate that's historically accurate because he was obsessed with looking that way and plucking and his stray hairs and yeah doing all that wow yeah, good on marvel a, that's also that's also a good uh good thing that you mentioned because it shows how insignificant these rules are you know, you think that these rules are like set in stone, but somebody just came up with it like Kanye did in 2012. Like we can wear leather skirts and then overnight everyone's like, okay, we can do it now. Like how, how weak minded. Exactly. And like, yeah. Flimsy. These Young rules me, are. You yeah. have such a good point because I think the question lies, when yeah. is it that men stopped wearing makeup? If throughout history, men have always kind of worn makeup or flamboyant in their expression, when is it that that changed? And that mm. changed in the Enlightenment period. Mm. It was very deliberate. It was extremely deliberate. These cis straight white men in Europe one day were like, we need to be in the age of reason. And so mm. scientific, political, and philosophical discourse became the obsession. And anything frivolous, like beauty, became seen as less than. And that became seen as weaker. And then the Enlightenment period ushered in what? The Victorian period, the most boring right. period in history, right? <laughs> Everyone just like dressed down. They were like super stark I and stoic. And stoicism. So Sorry. Exactly, yeah. yes. Stoicism <laughs> became revered. And then what happened after that? The world wars. So Western cultures and Europeans, they literally sailed the world and put a flag on any land and was like, it's mine now. And this rush to westernize and to colonize, that influenced also the world to see each other from a binary and a Western purview because right. of that world war. And through World War One, what happened is men were shipped off to war. So that hyper masculinity, that violence, right? That hyper machoism was now yeah. commonplace. 
Mm-hmm. What happened to the women who stayed behind? They had to replace the men who were off in battle, and they had to replace them in jobs like uh, manual labor, factories, or the postal service. And because the men were now disillusioned or felt fragile that their places were taken uh, uh, by by women, women were now told that they had to be hyper feminine. That's when brands like Tangi or Elizabeth Arden came out with uh, with ads that said, "If you don't dress." up, if you're not wearing red lipstick, it's anti-American and it's not Mm. patriotic. And so women had to start wearing makeup and overdoing themselves and objectifying Mm -hmm. themselves. That's where the pinup girl came about. Right. Right. And they were required now to be hyper feminine, to be cheerleaders for the men at war. And so that the men didn't feel eclipsed by the women who stayed back. And Mm -hmm. so it was during this time that our gender binaries and the roles were created. And it was so successful. We still abide to these rules in 2021. Yeah. So what you're saying is me dressing and acting like a dumb bitch is from the 1950s. (laughs) <laughs> Patriotism. Well, we need to ask your mom about that. But no, it, it really does come down to the patriarchy yeah. and white supremacy. Everything right. in this country, everything. right? Right, Every, right. Everything. I feel like every single thing in this country and misogyny. Right. And colonization. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, yep. and I mean, specifically in this country, it does feel like it lags behind in this arena. And yes, because, you it know, does. In, it like in East Asian countries, does. it's become normal. It's more normalized for cis hat men to start wearing, to wear makeup. Now, the narrative is changing somewhat in America, um, especially with people like you, David, who are championing this cause where men, cis hat men are starting to dip their toes into the makeup arena and to start caring about um, beauty. And how do you think this fluidity will impact Asian American men who have historically Ooh. been mocked by Western society for being, question. quote unquote, effeminate? Well, I think that we need to get to the root of what masculine expression looks like and that there's nothing to be ashamed of with having a fluid expression. And I think at the end of it, I would like to challenge Asian American men to reconcile their hurt and their pain and to understand that they are in that place, not because of their own agency, but because of white supremacy. And to fight against this patriarchal structure or white supremacist structures is to be your authentic self, is not to play in this game and say, I'm going to be hyper-masculine, hyper-macho because that's what the white man wants me to be, but to really rectify that is to then be your authentic self, whether that is fluid, whether that is mass presenting or femme presenting. And I think that is a radical act for Asian American men to Mm. then be who they want to be and to express themselves however the hell they want to. That is brilliant. That You just touched on it so perfectly because I think in your answer, we we all, and we've discussed this before, we all know the Asian American man that's hyper macho, muscular, um, very like the rock, you know, toxic masculine. <laughs> very the they rock. Fought, they, they, the they, <laughs> they very much fell into that. Um, um, and it was a reaction against white men being like, ha ha, you're effeminate. 
And that mm. is harmful. And that is not their fault. It's really sad because maybe it's a big part of who they are now. And, and I'm not saying it's wrong to work out at the gym and be muscular. That's if you enjoy that, that's great. And I don't think yeah, there's anything sure. wrong with that at all. Absolutely. But the, but the act of doing that to sort of appease this idea that racist white supremacists had of you is very sad. You know what I mean? It's mm. like. Right. And yes. Yeah, you're a victim like, to that, right? We are victims to that structure. So you're completely right, young me. For a lot of people, it's probably, you know, as a lot of people that suffer from a lot of very acute toxic masculinity, it's impossible to hear and it's impossible to chip away at that because that's very painful that they, mm-hmm. they bought into the system of abuse that abused them. But I hope that if, if an Asian American man who struggles with this sort of thinking hears mm-hmm. this, like he, he hears your advice, which is like, it's a radical act to just be like, oh, you're going to call me effeminate and gay and as a slur. Fuck you. I'm not fuck. I'm going to fuck your girlfriend, you know, like Brian does. <laughs> Brian. I'm over here. Right. And I think, yeah. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's yeah. this idea of misguided masculinity, because I also want to make it clear that masculinity in its purest form it's not toxic, right? No, and I think no, that in a lot of ways, when you say yeah. toxic masculinity, so many cishet men get triggered and they're like, you're saying that me as a man, that I'm just no. toxic. And that's really reductive. And we're not saying that. We're saying that masculinity in many ways has been misguided, yeah. right? You have been misguided in your truth, in, in your discovery, in your self-actualization. And what we're saying here today is that you can be whoever the hell you want to be, but just make sure that that's you and question, you know, yep. if gender roles weren't unfairly placed onto you, what would yeah. you be free to do, right? What would we, we be free to do, young me and Brian, wow. if gender roles weren't placed unfairly upon us? Would we be more expressive, more powerful, our, our authentic self? How would we change the world if that happened? Wow. Well, David, you've definitely schooled us and I've learned a lot. Um, and I love the historical lens and practice that you put behind all of this because holy shit, my mind is blown. And uh, I, I do want to talk a little bit about your book that by the time this episode comes out, it will have been released. So everyone, please go to your bookstore and buy Pretty Boys. Can you quickly describe what the book is about to our listeners? Yes, for sure. Pretty Boys is a book about the history of men, makeup, and masculinity from the beginning of time to now. So we're going back to 50,000 BCE with our Neanderthal cousins who ground up pyrite as highlighter and also used foundation and daubed their cheeks with uh, blush to <laughs> warriors like the Vikings to 3200 BCE, our Babylonian friends who went into a salon for hours and hours to paint their nails and to curl their hair before battle. To 600s Huarang, the Shilla dynasty had these assassins called the Huarang who wore makeup as a spiritual practice. And all throughout history and the world in time, we're understanding that pretty is pretty powerful and Mm. that innately we as human, human animals, we are part of the animal kingdom. And just like male species like peacocks who might be beautiful, innately we are proving that men too, mask identifying people, have always beautified and innately we want to be powerful through that act of beauty. And also in the book, there are some great tips in there, like just educational tips, where um, I was reading it the other day and like, for instance, the perfect way to part your hair. Now I am enlightened. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yes, we asked celebrity stylist from Sir John, who's Beyonce's makeup artist, to David Lopez, wow. who works with Priyanka Chopra, to Daniel Martin, who works with um, um, Meghan Markle. And, and I think that we're getting the best tips from the industry to, you know, even K-pop. Like, we got Pentagon's uh, makeup artist to really tell us about K-pop makeup. And I learned so much that the makeup they use on stage is waterproof, and it's matte foundation, wow. and their dew is just from their sweat. Uh, <gasps> but there's so many tips in, in the book. I'm just and like BTS. I have might do is sweat too. <laughs> yes, BTS is its own chapter as well. And and RM made the cover of the book right here because I, I made that specifically wow. because you know so many people have criticized RM for not being the standard of beauty. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to redefine that and I want to propel this notion that if beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You are that beholder. I am that beholder. I define my own beauty, my own Mm -hmm. worth. Mm -hmm. I am powerful in my own unique self and I'm worthy. And for so long, I felt growing up in Colorado Springs, Colorado as the lone Korean American, otherized, invisibilized, uh, felt less than, felt as if I didn't belong. If people don't see you, does that mean that you are a ghost? Does that mean I do not exist and I am not alive and I do not have blood pumping through my veins? Mm -hmm. And I felt that and I felt so pained as a young child. And so I was always on a mission to uplift disenfranchised folks, to make people feel special, that they belong, that they are essential. And I do hope that people will take this book and say, I'm not different. I'm not, I may be weird, yes, but I'm going to embrace that. And perhaps I don't have a community in Colorado or North Dakota or places like California or whatever. But I know that through history, these people, they existed, they thrived. And people adulated them, they lauded them, or maybe they criticized them. But I'm not alone. And history mm. shows that I'm not alone. Yeah. That, what I a great it. message. If you shine a true light, <laughs> the darkness around you is not going to be happy about it. But who gives a shit? Yes. I love yes. the history behind all of it. Can you drop history... one more historical fact on us? Like, I, th- th- I did not know about the Vikings. But can you, like, for yes. our listeners. Okay. Yeah, what's like, one yeah. more, so, more knowledge, please. <laughs> wigs were so interesting because uh, King Louis Fourteenth. Created this entire wig trend. This is why we know the male gaze is so real, right? (laughs) Right. So before King Louis XIV, people didn't really care about wigs. But King Louis XIV may have had syphilis. We don't know. But he started shedding his hair, going bald at like... 19. Mm. And he was like, do I make baldness a trend or do I pull a Regina George, like she cut Mm. out the boobs in her tank top, and do I create a wig trend because I'm small. He was at 5'3". He was like, I want to wear heels and I also want to uh, magnify my height through a wig. And so what he did, he, he created this wig trend. So all men started wearing wigs. And his was created by human hair, mm. by virgin hair, by Nordic women in the northern part of France. And his wig maker would go and would pay these women to grow out their hair so that King Louis XIV would have fresh, real wigs and real hair. But this created this entire sensation throughout Europe where then wigs became this trending uh, item and everyone needed it. And it was Mm -hmm. thousands of dollars and then it created this entire industry which France is today of luxury and that's why France is the epicenter of luxury because of King Louis XIV because there was a short man that had syphilis so and and look at us now paying thousands of dollars for Chanel bags (laughs) Kanye of the yes (laughs) the Kanye of of his time (laughs) 
And also, I want to just say that you never heard stories like this growing up because our whole system, our society is based on this BS, manly man stuff. You never hear about stuff like this. You know what like it is, this. young me? What? That is such a good point. Y'all are just spot on. I wanted to say, if you think about it, who are the historians? Who are the gatekeepers? They look a certain way and they want to promote this idea that yeah. these pharaohs or Alexander the Great, they had no softness. But Alexander mm-hmm. the Great was like the biggest beauty boy. He was obsessed <laughs> with fragrances. And he so, named himself Alexander the Great. So I mean, hello. And so the thing is, I, I think we all need to understand history is not always true. And who's no. writing history? Who's it usually comes it? from a certain person. Mm. And even when I was doing my fact checking and would email people about Alexander the Great, they were so fearful. They were like, what do you mean? He never wore makeup. And I was like, I never said makeup. I said, mm. there are these passages that we see in Greek uh, texts that he was obsessed with fragrances and perfumes. Mm. And people are afraid that these macho masculine uh, idols might be seen as less than because oh. they were into beauty. Bro, that he's may, dead. Yeah, he's not going to do anything. Like, why are you scared to give me the real info? They're like, exactly. Also, he didn't give a shit about wearing makeup. He was wearing it. Come on. And he also People slept with so men, weird. women, like he was, right. he was pansexual. Like he wow. was free. Yeah, mm. it, it's so striking to me when I go to places, you know, not I, and I hate it when people say New York is so open and everywhere else is so close minded. No, the men that live in New York are putting on a song and dance like, what did you say, bro? It's your time to play tennis. Like, <laughs> shut up, you know, like, exactly. But like, but like when you see those really those men that really follow that strict rule in like public places, it's really like weird. Now they're like. I'm going to get a sandwich. I'm like, relax. Like, why are you doing that? (laughs) It's such a weird act. Oh, oh my God. Well, before we let you go, we want to ask you one last question that we ask all of our guests on the Feeling Asian podcast. And that is, what is something that you're proud of, David? Wow. I'm proud to be Korean American at this moment. I feel like for me, I have been an activist and advocate for our people for so long, but no one listened, not Mm -hmm. even our own people. Mm. But I think that in this moment, I'm finally feeling seen and heard by our community and not only our community, but people from other communities. And I think that when we keep standing in our truth and we, uh, we really do fight for justice, that we will see our day. And we will see people believing in us and seeing us for who we are. It took about 15 years to get to this place. And it's been a very lonely journey talking about masculinity or talking about Korean American issues. But at this moment, I feel in community with the AAPI community. And I also feel in community with the greater world. And for the first time ever, I feel as if I'm stepping into my power. Oh my God, that was so amazing. (laughs) I'm also so proud of you. I really feel like we caught you at a moment where you are like reaping the fruits of what you've sown. And you, I can feel your power. You know, you're so smart. You are the person that knows about this topic. And I'm just so excited for you. And I'm so excited for this book coming out. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for you. your skincare, your amazing skincare line too, because back in 2016, you know, uh, my ex at the time, she was really into skincare and I started um, developing an interest in it. And that's how we came across your blog. And now that you have these 
products out, it's, I'm really excited for you because you truly are an expert in the field and you know, Thank you. you know what good skincare takes and um, you're the perfect person to execute this. So congratulations mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. And for our listeners, where can they find you and all of your wonderful work? Yes. Um, you can find me at Socialite, my personal handle at goodlight.world for our good light products or at very good light to hear more about, you know, Gen Z centric topics and skincare. But my book is sold uh, nationwide at all bookstores and please support local bookstores and, and, you know, buy from, from local booksellers. And, and I think that would be so amazing to, to get this into everyone's hand and, and kind of rewrite history or what we already know or what we think we know. I can't imagine anyone listening to this episode that will not buy your book. Like, I feel like everybody is like probably add to cart right now. <laughs> oh, and I just so want to much. mention that your social media handle is socialite spelled soul at like the city in Korea. How about yes. you, Brian? Where can we find you? On you guys media? can find me on socials <laughs> at it's Brian Park. And what about you, young me? Why am mayor? And then TikTok is young me mayor. I'm a big TikTok fan. Derogatory. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be following you both. And yeah. uh, you guys should follow us on socials for our podcast at Feeling Asian oh, Podcast. Yeah. We have a wonderful Instagram and we have a TikTok at Feeling Asian Podcast. And now we have a YouTube channel. So you can see how chok chok all of our skin looks live in person. (laughs) So please subscribe to all of our content. And we want to give a quick shout out to our wonderful audio engineer, Sarah Pack on Instagram at IM underscore P-A-K-T. That is at impact. So please hit her up for any and all of your audio related projects. And once again, David, thank you for joining us on the Feeling Asian podcast. And thank you all for listening. And that's it. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.